Today's scripture comes to us from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Let him but let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and is given to us in love. It's fun to see Jeff up here. Jeff and April and I were on the same staff team with crew at UNCG for three years. And it's fun to see a number of you that I know and respect and love. And I'm honored to be here. And um, growing up in my family, we would camp a lot. I grew up in the great state of Texas, had to put that in there. And um, we spent many nights on our 20 acres in Smithfield, Texas. And on one particular trip, we got there, we set up camp, we uh, put our tent up, and my stepdad and I went fishing on the pond and um, trying to catch supper. Well, that night, a huge storm drenched us with eight inches of rain. We found out later that a tornado had come through not far and just saturated that whole area. Well, eight inches of rain may not sound like much, but we had just dug or had dug a four to five acre pond on our property. That's about four to five football fields. And the lowest point was 35 feet deep. The pond filled up that night. A lot of rain just came in and drenched us. And our tent was leaking severely, kept falling down on top of us. We kept going out in the middle of the night to put tent stakes back in the ground so they kept being pulled up. And at one particular point, we, we started to unzip the tent and look out inside. And I, and I literally saw our ice chest just floating on by. <laughs> this morning, as we began to look at the book of James... He's going to instruct us how to stay steadfast when life comes collapsing down on us. How to stay steadfast when the trials and sufferings of our life come and hit us and instruct us how do we respond. How does God want us to respond in the midst of life's hardships? And we all know what it's like when our tent comes falling down on us. None of us have been um, a a pain-free life or suffering-free life. We've all gone through it, whether it be covid in the last year and a half, it's been very difficult. Even before COVID or during COVID or even now when COVID's getting better, we still know what it's like to struggle with our jobs and careers, to struggle in our marriages and our parenting, to struggle with roommates and school, friendships, dating or a lack of dating, loneliness and anxiety, depression. We know what it's like. We live in a fallen world and we know what it's like to suffer. So James wants to invite us to look at how God wants to respond. Now, James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. 
Same mom, different dad. Holy Spirit's not his father. One of the pillars of the early church was actually the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he's writing to Jewish believers that have been scattered out outside of Palestine. And they're going through a lot of hardships, some persecution, some poverty. Different things are really coming down on them. And so he wants to write to them to encourage them and to instruct them what it means to be steadfast. To have our life centered on Jesus and to stay steadfast. So how do we stay steadfast in the midst of the hardships of life with joy, stability, and hope? That's what we're going to look at. But I first want to start off by saying a key word is knowing. I don't mean just in our head, but deep within our gut, deep within our heart, we know biblical truths in ways that permeate us and transform us. A knowing that comes from trusting and taking God at His word through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't make the trust happen, but He can as we cry out to Him and His Spirit enables us to trust and to know certain truths that bring joy, stability, and life, and hope in life. But before we begin looking at the text and diving in, please pray with me. And I want to invite you just to be still in His presence for a moment. Just to quiet your heart and recognize that Jesus Christ is with us right here, right now. He's madly in love with us. You are the delight of his eyes. And he wants to speak words of life. Invite, I want to invite you just to open your heart up and ask God to speak. Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, be exalted. Be our teacher. Abba, we belong to you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. How do we stay steadfast in trials with joy? It's knowing that God is allowing the trials for a deeper joy. You find out pretty quickly when you begin walking with Christ that He's not promised us a problem-free life. He has a greater purpose and a vision for our lives than ease and comfort. And He desires to bring us joy. He loves us. He He sent Christ to die for our sins and resurrect from the dead that we can have life to the full. He longs, longs for us to experience His joy. But He knows that trials and afflictions are the pathway to that joy. Because when the hardships happen, we cling to God We've got to have them. And that, through that clinging and that endurance, we're transformed into the men and women He's created us to be, which brings us deeper joy. Look at verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, not lacking in anything. I've got to be honest. I have struggled with the opening words, count it all joy. Part of it's, I think, because we have gone through some, my wife and I have gone through some hard times in our life. Um, Some of you know we have a 23-year-old son who's autistic. He's uh, severely affected by it, and he will be dependent upon us um, for all of our life. 
And in verse one point, he's in the hospital, and he's almost died twice. And we didn't know if he was going to make it when he's, when he's really young, a baby. And somebody from our church, with a smile on their face, said, hey, be, be choosing joy, because God's disappointment is your appointment. God, disappointment is God's appointment. I messed that one up. Disappointment is God's appointment. You know, and I, I just felt like this, this trite little saying that missed our heart that was grieving, that denied the ache and the pain that we were going through. It's like a little band-aid over me, and it's like, I, I, it just, it really hurts. And actually, to be honest, it made me sick in my stomach. It's not the kind of joy that, that James is talking to us about. He's not saying, just choose to be happy, though you're getting beat up. Joy, biblical joy, goes alongside sorrow and suffering. They're not the opposite. You can experience God's deep and rich joy even in the midst of sorrow. Because it's not based upon how well life is going. It's not based upon our circumstances. But joy is a spirit-given result that comes from us choosing to trust in the goodness of God and surrendering to what God is up to in our lives. By the Spirit who gives us His strength. Because we can't do that on our own. We've all been around people that have gone through some pretty significant trials in their life. There's a calm joy and a quiet peace about them. Even in the midst of the hard times. And we've all been around people that are going through tough times that have become cynical. Living despair and anger and cynicism, pessimism. And, he's, and James is saying, I want you guys to make a choice. To consider it pure joy when you're going through trials because we can trust that God is good and He's up to good in the midst of these hardships and trials. We may not understand what He's up to, but we can know that He's up to good. And He wants to take us into His deeper joy through them. The next part is also a struggle for me. I struggle a lot with Scripture. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you meet trials and literally i looked it up in the original language in greek and that's what it means to meet it's almost like he's saying hey dot i want you to meet mr trial he's going to be your buddy he's going to jump up and down on your back and knock you to the ground you're going to be crawling to the dirt eat, you know eating dirt he's going to be like gut punching you and knocking the wind out of you when you're even puking but he's going to be your buddy and your friend i want you to be got you know meet mr trial i'm like I don't want to have anything to do with Mr. Trial. I don't want to have anything to do with this jerk. He only causes me pain and suffering. And if you really cared about me, if you really loved me, you would not be asking me to meet him and befriend him. But again, God, our Heavenly Father, who's madly in love with us, knows that trials and afflictions are necessary in order to bring the healing from our brokenness that we long for in order to grow us into the wholeness that we cry out for. Trials, testings, purify our hearts and our minds. They make us cling to Him with everything we've got. Who, to Jesus Christ, who is our only hope for healing and transformation. They're necessary, ultimately, for our own good and personal thriving. They're necessary for us to grow into Christ's likeness, to grow into maturity, to become the people we long to become. To become more kind patient and gentle, other-centered, sacrificially loving others and caring for others, not being consumed with ourselves. Trials are necessary in order to strip us of everything that keeps us from Christ 
and to pour into us His grace and mercy as we cling to Him. When we look at verse 4, we see the good place that He's taking us to. That we become perfect, mature, not lacking in anything. In other words, making us like Jesus. God in His infinite love knows the most loving thing that He can do for us is not giving us a life of ease, a life of ease and comfort. But to work in such a way that we cling to Him and we find Him in ways we would never find Him apart from the suffering. To work in such a way to purify, to make us more like His beloved Son. Become the people He's created us to be and has a dream that we would become. My father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in uh, 1996, 1997. And there was a particular member of my family growing up that um, I really experienced a lot of judgmentalness, harshness, criticalness from this particular person. And because this person was the primary caregiver for my dad um, and his second family, I really saw this person transformed. The six and seven years of caring for my dad and loving my dad transformed this person into a kind, gentle, humble, merciful, compassionate person. The the change was amazing. It wasn't overnight because transformation and and change, growth is slow. It's beautiful, but it is slow. But over time, this person became someone that you wanted to be around and that you experienced God's grace and mercy through. The change was obvious. The change was amazing. But it came because of the suffering this person went through. How does God really transform and facilitate this growth in us to become more like Jesus, to be able to become fully alive in Christ? Well, he tells us in verse 4, he says, let steadfastness have its result. And steadfastness can be translated as um, endurance or patience, a long-suffering. It's the idea in Greek that we're remaining under the weight and the pressure of something. So as we remain under the weightiness of the afflictions, over that process that we hold fast, we stay steady, we keep clinging to Jesus, we keep surrendering and saying, Thy will be done. I want you and your will more than me and my comfort and my relief. When we do that, Mr. Endurance, because it's a personified, does his work in us. It's a personification of endurance to say, let endurance do its work in you. It is an agent of God. Let him work to shape you and to mold you to the image of Jesus. Let the spirit-empowered endurance be like a sculpture. Is chipping away in the marble everything that's taken away so that it can make it into a beautiful statue. Or an image that I like even better is the Holy Spirit is the surgeon or Christ or the Holy Spirit is the surgeon. And he uses a scalpel called Mr. Endurance to cut away all the cancer. To cut away what makes us shrivel up and be self-consumed or, 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 uh, and it keeps us from knowing and loving and becoming like Jesus. Let God do His work in you through the suffering and the trials. Surrender, trust, and cooperate with where He's trying to take you. Trials are going to rain down on us. It's a non-negotiable. So how do we stay steadfast in trials with pure joy? Knowing, trusting that God is ultimately up to good and taking us to His deeper joy through them. Second, How do we stay steadfast in trials with stability? 
knowing that God will provide the wisdom and everything we need to walk through the trial. Verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all people generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven, tossed to and fro by the wind, by the waves. For that person must not suppose they will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. When the trial and temptation and affliction hits us, we're not going to have all the wisdom that we need to stay steadfast and to cooperate with where God is taking us. The danger is that we forget God. I don't know about you, but when the affliction happens, when the hardship happens, my focus can be on that problem. My heart and my mind can be riveted on how do I get through this? How do I get over this? How do I get away from this? How do I bulldoze through it? Or how do I avoid it? But I get my focus and my and consume with this problem and I get my eyes off of Jesus Christ. The worshiping Him and surrendering to Him and depending upon Him and saying, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Because what, can ma- what matters to me more than anything else when I'm not trusting is relief. Comfort. Don't trust that God is up to good. Don't want to allow Mr. Endurance because that means long suffering, a slow bake. I want a microwave Christianity, not a slow bake. But it's vital that we keep in step with His Spirit and go where He's taking us. And what helps us is to not is to, is to ask and cry out to God for wisdom of how do I endure? What do I say to my boss that's a jerk? What do I say with my wife when they deeply hurt me? What do I say to my teenage son that's driving me crazy? My teen ta- teammate daughter that's really said some hurting comments. How do I handle this with my anxiety or my depression? How do I handle this? Lord, I pray for your wisdom. And he says he will give it to you gladly. He delights to give you everything you need in life. And especially when you're seeking to cooperate with him and what he's doing in your life. It's good and godly to cry out to God for grace and mercy. But we don't necessarily have to understand why God is allowing it to happen. Let me, let me sidebar real quick. I had a friend of mine look over the sermon. They said, you need to mention this somewhere. So I think this is a good place. What, what I'm not trying to communicate is, is my dad, um, alcoholic father, very abusive, abandoned us when I was young. I, I'm not trying to say God gave me my dad, who's emotionally abusive, to teach me a lesson. I'm not saying that God gave me our son, Brennan, to teach me a lesson. I'm not saying that God has caused some of you some deep pain and suffering. I'm not saying God allows evil to happen to teach us a lesson. What I am trying to say is that there are times I think God does sovereignly do something to teach me a lesson. To be honest, like I have a flat tire and complaining and griping versus like, oh, I need to humbly submit to God. I mean, there are smaller things, but there are times that God brings things in our life. We don't know what he's up to. We don't. It's a mystery. But what we do know is that he wants to use that as a byproduct to draw me to himself, to transform me and to change me. So in light of all that, what he's trying to say is that we don't have to understand what God is doing. Wisdom does not necessarily mean he's going to tell you everything. But what we do need to understand is that God is up to good. And He's going to bring, give me the wisdom, the grace, the patience. It's going to give me everything I need to walk through this. Even with His joy and in His stability. We are called, though, to ask for wisdom and everything we need and trust and not doubting. 
Because when we're doubt, we're unstable. We're driven, tossed to and fro like a wave. Ever been seasick? Man, that sucks. When I was about 10 or 12 years old, I went deep sea fishing with my dad. We went out about 20 miles fishing for something. I don't know what it was. I was out there all day in the water, puking the whole time. Being seasick is miserable. That's what doubting is like. You're being driven, tossed to and fro by the waves, and it makes you seasick. You're being tossed to and fro by the waves of, the thing of, well, God loves me. No, he doesn't. God is good. No, he doesn't. My ways are better. No, God's ways are better. It's this doubting that happens. It's not saying, suck it up and choose to trust no matter how you feel. It's not saying that. Because God, all throughout the Psalms especially, invites us to offer up to him our doubts, to offer up to him our struggles. God, where are you? Do you see me? Do you know me? Do you hear my cries? Do you see my anxiety? Yes, I do see And I'm right there with you. And I'm deeply in love with you. And I live in you through the Spirit. I will never leave you or forsake you. Yes, I see. But part of the reason why he brings these trials is allow the doubts that happen, the darkness deep inside our closets of our heart, to come to the surface so that we can bring what's in the darkness into the light that they can be healed. Otherwise, these guys are always, these doubts are always controlling us and ruling our lives in ways we don't always understand or know. So he allows the hard things to come up so that we can bring them to God and our convictions grow even deeper that God is good. His grace is sufficient. He's with me and he's up to good in my life. So staying steadfast in trust and surrender and, and cooperating with what God is doing in my life to heal me, to make me whole is significantly important as we stay steadfast in these trials. So how do we stay steadfast with joy? By knowing God is up to good and trusting him with that. He's up to take us to his deeper joy. How do we stay steadfast with stability? By knowing that God, by trusting that God will provide the wisdom and everything else I need to walk through this trial. But how do we stay steadfast in trials with hope? With hope. Knowing the hope of God's promises. Hope is vital. It's important. Without hope, you lose heart. You lose heart. You lose strength. You fall into despair, cynicism, depression, anger, bitterness. I've been there. I've struggled with anxiety and depression off and on all my life. Hope brings strength to endure. He doesn't talk about it directly in this passage, but he does talk about it in James 5. And it's been so significant in my own life and journey, I wanted to bring it up. In James 5, he says, be patient, which is similar to endure or steadfast. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits. I don't like patience. You like to wait? I don't want to wait. But see how the farmer waits in patience for the precious fruit of the earth. Being patient about it until he receives until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the Lord is coming. No matter what you're going through, it will not last forever. It won't. Either God will deliver you and rescue you from that here on earth, or He will deliver you and rescue that from when He comes back, or when you die to go be with Him in paradise. 
But the promise is there. We have hope. It will not last forever. We have hope. Our momentary light afflictions will not compare to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us in the new heavens and the new earth. When we'll be free from all tears and trials, savoring the beauty and the love of Jesus for all eternity. Establish your hearts and hope. In the 1950s, Dr. Carl Richter performed a miracle. Performed a miracle, no he didn't. Performed an experiment on rats. He was a professor at John Hopkins, did this famous psychological experiment. It's kind of cruel. It was cruel. But a lot of good insight came out of it. In the first experiment, he took 12 rats, placed them in this barrel of water. And he and the team timed to see how long their rats could swim until they drowned. They swam about average of 15 minutes before they drowned. And he made a note in his, in his journal. They had the, the strength to swim longer, but they lost hope and quit. So he took another set of 12 rats, placed them one at a time in the water, did the same thing. And when they went under about 15 minutes, began to drown, he pulled, got in there, pulled them out, dried them off, and let them rest for a while. Then he put them back into the same barrel of water a little bit later. This time they swam 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, three hours, 10 hours. 15 hours, 25 hours, 40 hours, 50 hours. On average, the rat swam 60 hours. It's documented. I have it right here if you want to know where it is. One of them swam 84 hours. And he put into his journal the difference Men and women, you and I have hope of God's promises that we will be rescued. Either here and now, while we wait and patiently endure the trial, but ultimately in the new heavens and new earth. How do we stay steadfast in the trials of our life? With joy, by knowing that God is up to good and taking us to a deeper joy. With stability, by knowing God will give us the wisdom that we need and everything we need to endure this trial and in hope knowing that God's word is true and we can place our life and bank our life upon his promises that he will return and he will rescue us knowing this can make all the difference in the world but it's not a knowing that we suck it up it's a knowing that we continually say Lord have mercy please give me your perspective please give me your grace And it's a knowing and a trusting that's cultivated not just by a sermon, but ultimately that's the walking steadfastly in life and spending time in His Word, meditating, spending time praying through what's going on in your life, spending time in a small group that you have here, spend time worshiping and journaling and confessing and going on prayer walks, taking up communion, all the different things that God does as a means of grace to strengthen us. But ultimately it comes from trust and surrender. Let me pray. Father, we love you. 
And we ask that You would give us the grace to make our consuming passion to not be relief or comfort or ease, but to make our consuming passion You. To know You. To worship You. To cling to You. To be transformed to become the image of Your Son. Have mercy. Draw us to Yourself. And I pray for everybody in this room that You take us deeper into Your joy, stability, and hope. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.